Welcome to the latest episode in our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Kahn, a director at PwC, and I'm your host for today's episode. First of all, I'd like to wish a very happy International Women's Day to all our listeners. We're recording this episode two weeks before International Women's Day, and the celebrations are already getting underway here at PwC in the run-up to the launch of our annual Women in Work report on the 2nd of March. International Women's Day is an opportunity for us to celebrate the successes and continued strides that women have achieved in the workplace. And this year's Women in Work report does just that. It celebrates the progress made across the OECD towards women's empowerment at work. Of course, it's not enough just to celebrate women's achievements. The theme for this year's International Women's Day is hashtag choose to challenge, a reminder for everyone to challenge gender bias and inequality. Our report reveals how many challenges still remain for women in work and sets out practical advice to help business and government to make a difference. In this episode, we'll be exploring the key themes from the year's report with a particular emphasis on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on women in work. We'll discuss the challenges women are facing in the workplace today, and we'll also be sharing with you some of the things PwC is doing to promote gender equality across our firm. I'm absolutely delighted to be presenting our first ever all-female panel on a Business in Focus podcast. Joining me today in our virtual studio are Larisse Stilo and Laura Hinton. Larisse is a senior economist here at PwC and is the lead author of our Women in Work report. Laura is a member of PwC's UK Executive Board and our Chief People Officer, responsible for setting and delivering our people strategy across the UK firm. Now, as we record today, we are still in lockdown, although I, for one, am hoping that by the time you listen to this, all children across the UK, including my own, will have gone back to school. So we're all working from home today. Hello, Laura and Larice. Where are you in the country today and, and how are you today? Hi, Emily. It's Laura here. Yep, I am working from home, as you say. So I'm based in Hertfordshire, just outside of London. Um, and I'm doing OK, thank you. Like you, I am very, very kind of keeping everything crossed that uh, schools will be reopened by the time everybody's listening to this podcast. So we're living hope. Absolutely. And Larice, how are you today? Oh, hi, Emily. Hi, Laura. I'm well. I'm very excited to be here and I'm, I'm joining you from London today and also hoping for some positive news. Fantastic. Um, well, can I start by wishing you both a happy International Women's Day for when it comes around? It's the day I always enjoy taking stock of women's achievements and, and I often make a gift of a book to the many goddaughters I'm blessed with to mark the day. Um, what will you be doing to mark the day, Laura? Like you, I absolutely love International Women's Day. So much happens around the firm, so much positivity, so much championing of women and diversity more generally. So I'll spend the day dipping in and out of various different panel sessions and events that are taking place up and down the country. So that's definitely one of the positives about virtual working. It's easy to be in lots of different places in a short period of time. Absolutely. How about you, Louise? Well, I'll be concentrating on launching our Women in Work report, Emily, um, and the team, you know, have been really busy working on the analysis over the last couple of months. So it's, I mean, it's great to have the opportunity to discuss some of the findings today. Um, and it's really is focused, as you mentioned, on how COVID-19 is affecting women in work. So sadly, um, sometimes it actually does take a global pandemic to highlight where we are really at in this journey. And while yeah. we have made continued progress over the last decade we do still have a long way to go on our path towards equality 
And uh, to your previous point, Emily, um, I'm excited to be part of our first all-female Business in Focus podcast panel. As Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, when I'm sometimes asked when there will be enough women on the Supreme Court, I say, when there are nine. People are shocked, but there'd been nine men and nobody's ever raised a question about that. Yeah, I love that quote. Um, and I agree with, with some of that sentiment too. Um, it's a pleasure to have you both today. And I think we should get um, we should get straight into the Women in Work report. That's here what, what we're here to discuss today. And I'm certainly looking forward to the publication. It's something I read with interest every year. Um, I mentioned in my intro, and you, you mentioned there, Larice, that COVID-19 is really at the, the core of the story this year because it's had such a profound impact on women right around the world. Um, and, and we're seeing more and more research suggesting that um, women are suffering greater impacts than men across different aspects of their life. Um, Louise, maybe let's start there. Does that ring true with the findings of, of this year's Women in Work report? Yeah, it really does. Um, our analysis this year shows that, that COVID-19 is already reversing the important gains that we've made to women's economic empowerment across the OECD over the last decade. In terms of jobs, which is, you know, really the focus of the report, women are being disproportionately affected compared to men. And that's because of the sectors they work in and also the more precarious nature of their jobs. And the pandemic is also amplifying pre-existing gender inequalities in society, particularly around mm -hmm. the greater burden of care, unpaid care and domestic work that women take on in um, actually almost every country across the world. If we look at um, unemployment data across the OECD countries in our analysis, um, unemployment increased more for women than for men in 2020. And with job retention schemes that are still in place in, in many countries, the full impact of COVID-19 on women in work has not yet been realised. So in the UK, for example, if, um, if current furlough data is indicative of future unemployment trends, what we'll see is a larger women, a larger um, number of women um, will face the risk of job loss than men once like the coronavirus job retention scheme ends um, in April. And so what like what our analysis shows is that based on um, the unemployment forecasts, um, we're estimating that after this nine years of progress towards better gender equality across the OECD, we're actually going to see this trend reverse in 2020 and 21, and we'll actually fall back, progress will fall back to 2017 levels. So that's not a great story, but even more worrying than that is the damage that um, done by COVID-19 to women in work could actually be lasting, um, and if nothing is done, even permanent. So we already have data from some countries, including the US and the UK, that shows because of caring responsibilities, um, more women have left the workforce than men during COVID-19. Um, and the, the reality is that the longer this higher care burden on women lasts, the more likely they're going to be to leave the labour market, some permanently. And this won't just reverse progress towards gender equality, but it will actually slow economic growth and ruin productivity um, in economies. Well, I mean, you paint a very stark picture there and, and that's really quite concerning to hear, actually. Um, what do you think that's that's driven by? Get, get under the skin of that a little bit for us. Well, women are already at a disadvantage in the labour market to begin with, Emily. Um, and this means that their jobs are more vulnerable in times of crisis. 
um, their participation is lower than that of men. They have uh, higher unemployment than that of men in general. So then we come to this pandemic, which is different in nature than the 2008 financial crisis and previous economic and financial crises. Um, in those crises, there was widespread job losses um, to male-dominated industries first, such as financial sectors, manufacturing and construction. COVID-19 has actually been termed a she-session rather than a recession because it's hitting women um, and women's jobs first and foremost. And the unequal burden of care and domestic work is actually a huge factor. And we can't ignore that any, any longer. Even before the pandemic, on average, women spent six more hours than men per week on unpaid work. That number has now gone up to 7.7 .7 more hours per week. And this is according to research done by UN Women. Um, and it actually adds up to 31 and a half on average extra hours per week that women spend on, um, on unpaid childcare. And it's really, it's termed a second shift because um, it's pretty much the equivalent of a, an extra full-time job. And that is really having um, impacts um, on, the, on the labour market and women's contribution. Just picking up on some of those points, I mean, as, as you said, Emily, it really is quite shocking, some of those statistics. I think it certainly resonates in terms of what I'm hearing in the conversations that I have more broadly and certainly reflective within PwC itself. I think the one point that really struck me is the fact that actually we haven't seen the full impact yet because of the impact of job retention schemes. Um, and there is definitely more bad news to come which really focuses on having the conversation now, focusing on action now so that we absolutely limit the impact of what we haven't already seen. So again, another reason why this report and the timing on International Women's Day is just so important to have the conversation. Absolutely, and I was going to agree as well there. And I certainly, I mean, I recognize some of those challenges myself personally, especially the second shift concept. I'm looking forward to, to giving up um, my second job, homeschooling my children. Um, and I recognise that I'm actually very well supported by my employer at PwC and there's a lot of women who've got it a lot worse and have got a very different experience. Um, so I agree that the need for action is, is here and now. Um, let's, um, let's step back a little bit from, from the specific impacts of COVID. We've been running the report for, I think, nine years now, Larice. What else are we seeing in terms of the bigger picture of global trends this year that might add to that call to action? Well, I think probably the first point to make, Emily, is that COVID or, or no COVID, there's a huge economic benefits to be gained um, by getting more women into productive, well-paid jobs across the OECD. If we increased fit the female employment rate across all of the OECD countries to match Sweden, which is one of our consistent top performers on the index, the gain to GDP would be over US $6 trillion each year. Um, and that's just that, that's a huge amount. We can't even imagine like what that is in everyday terms. Um, and similarly, if we close the gender pay gap, um, we'd increase total female earnings across the OECD by two trillion dollars um, every year. So it, it's you know it, it's a really big prize that we're missing out on if we don't do something um, about it. Um, and just in terms of broader trends um, across countries, Iceland and Sweden continue to be our top performers on the Women in Work Index this year. And um, New Zealand's moved up into third place. So 
what we um, we look at when we look at those countries, we see that over the long term, it is government policy that has been a strong driver to help achieve those results. There are some eye-watering numbers there, aren't there, Larice, in terms of, I guess, the opportunities if we can tackle some of these challenges. I, I think it's particularly interesting to see New Zealand moving into third place. Uh, for me, there's something about articulating an intent, making it a priority, doing that very visibly. Um, and Jacinda Ardern, obviously New Zealand's Prime Minister, has absolutely done that. She's been very vocal on her commitment, uh, particularly to gender parity in the workplace. Um, in fact, I, I read recently that her government has passed a bill to ensure pay equality between men and women. So it will be really interesting to see the impact that that has on the challenge. I wonder whether they'll continue that uh, upward trajectory next year. Yeah, I'll be tracking that one as well. I think like a lot of women, around the world looking at Jacinda Ardern as a, as a female role model absolutely for how you can succeed in your chosen field at the same time as um, having a family and all those things as well. Um, let's look a little bit closer closer to home for a moment. We've talked on this series many times about regional variances in the economy and the skills picture across the UK and in particular the, the levelling up agenda post the COVID-19 pandemic and the opportunities there are there for us to make a real shift in some of those entrenched challenges we've seen in this country. Let's look through this lens. How, how have the different UK regions fared against our index, Larice? Well, Emily, overall, the UK did well in 2019. Progress towards women's economic empowerment was actually nearly twice as fast as the OECD average, with growth across all indicators within our Women and in Work Index. Progress, however, was not spread evenly across UK regions. For the first time, we saw regional inequalities increase across the UK. And what that means is we saw lower performing regions such as the Northeast, the Northwest, the West Midlands, Yorkshire and the Humber progress only slowly, with regions at the top end of the table, Southwest, Scotland, Northern Ireland, for example, showing faster progress. So overall, the difference between high performing and low performing regions increased. And that was the first time since we started measuring this a regional index that we saw this inequality increase. We've also been able to analyse some new data from the ONS this year on gender and ethnicity. Um, and it shows that women from almost all ethnic backgrounds earn less than white British men in England and Wales. And to be honest, that's not surprising, um, but it does highlight the better reporting is needed, not only around the gender pay gap, but also ethnicity pay gaps. Yeah, some really sobering trends there. And I think there's a, you know, that really reinforces the call to action we started with around governments and businesses um, doubling down on this agenda. And I know that the point that Louise just made there, Laura, is a cause close to your heart. Um, PwC is doing a lot of work to promote gender equality, but also in our, in our reporting on ethnicity pay gaps. As our chief people officer, Clearly, this is one of your key focus areas. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about what it means to you and the kind of things that we're looking at as a firm. Of course. Uh, thanks, Emily. And as you say, you know, as Chief People Officer, obviously, it comes with the, the job in terms of focusing on diversity and inclusion. But for me, it's far more than that. It's a real passion in terms of really making sure we make PwC as inclusive and diverse as we possibly can. 
Um, and it very much is a balance between inclusion and diversity. I think for many years, rightly so, we focused on diversity, making sure we recruited and promoted those people from different minority groups. And that has been absolutely critical um, in terms of making sure we do have a diverse uh, profile from a workforce perspective. We've still got a lot of work to do, but actually we have made great progress there. But diversity without an inclusive culture, without the behaviour that supports it, so that all of those diverse voices can be heard um, so that everybody gets fair and equal access to career defining opportunities. That's what inclusion means. So it yeah. very much is um, making sure that we are focused on diversity, but within the context of an inclusive culture. Um, my experience definitely suggests you need both to really make progress um, in this area. So some of the things that we've done over the, the recent years is, is very much been deliberate around, you know, our action plans and our strategy around both diversity and inclusion. We were doing probably hundreds of different things across the firm a few years ago. All were great initiatives um, and actually very good from an engagement perspective, but weren't driving the outcomes that we would have hoped for from a diversity perspective. So we've been very focused. We have a very clear action plan focusing on five areas where we believe they have the best chance of driving different outcomes. And as you would expect, um, as PwC, we are very focused on data, and analysis to support our action plan. So we have clear targets. Uh, with, they are kind of wired into our overall performance management processes, um, both from a gender and an ethnicity perspective as a proxy for broader inclusion. So I genuinely believe that that spotlight through data, through transparency, really does hold us um, accountable we are very clear on what we hope to achieve in any given year. Uh, from a targets perspective, we are hopefully therefore very accountable as to whether we get there or not. And it's about having that two-way conversation uh, with our people to understand some of the challenges, to understand the actions and what we can all do to be part of the conversation um, and to be part of solving uh, some of those challenges. So as you know, Emily, we were the first um, firm to voluntarily publish our gender pay gap back in 2014. So before yep. it became a regulatory requirement, um, we do try to stay kind of one or more steps ahead of what is required from a from a regulatory perspective. So we include partners in our data. Um, we've also been voluntarily publishing our ethnicity pay and bonus gaps for the last few years as well. Um, and this year we went further still in terms of breaking down our ethnicity pay and bonus gaps uh, into its components parts. So looking at black, Asian and mixed ethnicity pay gaps. Again, that has led to some uncomfortable conversations within the firm and externally, but that's absolutely right. If we don't put ourselves outside of our comfort zone, put the data out there and prepare to have the conversations, then I don't think we'll really move forward as quickly as we can on this agenda. Um, and we're equally passionate about promoting female economic empowerment in society, you know, looking at the growth areas on the horizon in a post-pandemic world, where do we think the investment will be, where will the opportunities be for women, and we know that there's a huge opportunity around technology, so we have a charter, so our Tech She Can Charter, which is very much about bringing organisations together to increase the number of women that work in technology, to upskill them, give them the skills to be relevant in that kind of real, really key growth sector. So aiming to tackle some of the 
root causes of the problems at a societal level um, by inspiring and educating young girls and women to get into tech careers. So lots of different areas of focus within PwC, but all about driving those outcomes, being transparent and being prepared to be held accountable for what we achieve or otherwise. I couldn't agree with that more, Laura. Um, and, you know, that kind of data on on pay gap reporting, gender and ethnicity is is it's so important for our women in work index. It relies on that to kind of measure um, our progress across um, not not only firms but across nations. And it's even more important in times like a pandemic, so we can better understand the effects on on marginalised and vulnerable groups in societies. So, um, as part of our report, we pick up on this call to action um, for governments and businesses to to continue reporting. Yeah, I'd agree too. I, I'm always really proud to see us, as you say, Laura, kind of leading the way and doing things before they're required of us. Um, I'm particularly struck by your point about inclusion versus diversity as well. I'm conscious that we're speaking today, we're three white women and, and we're sharing experiences and, and our experiences are likely to differ from those of, of women from different ethnic minority groups. And I suppose there's something on all of us, an individual call to action to challenge ourselves as part of that inclusive culture to ensure that we're understanding the full range of experiences of, of people around us too. Um, I think in terms of experiences, one of the reasons that I feel empowered as a woman at PwC is the great flexible working arrangements that we have here. Um, you might recall I've been a long-term advocate of, of flexible working and, and championing change in some of those areas in in the recent past tell me a little bit about why you think um, flexible working is so important and why we're focusing on that here yeah i mean as you say it really is a kind of a, an important foundation stone of everything we do around inclusion um, and diversity i mean ultimately flexibility is around trust it's around empowering our people to make the best decisions for themselves in terms of the various different priorities in life particularly right now um, but it's about you know thinking about what's best for you know where can you be most productive where will you be most happy um, but whilst also thinking about you know the client priorities and, and business priorities but it's very much around choice and i think the more people can feel as if they are the masters of their own destiny they're in control around how they balance their working world that we know that that's good for an individual's well-being and mental health we know it's positive to engagement um, and that will come through in terms of performance from a business perspective as well. So it really is about trusting people to make the right choices. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that our people will absolutely rise to that challenge. We have amazingly committed, resilient people um, who are very creative at making sure they can get um, work done wherever possible. And it's not always possible um, because they know they're trusted to do it in their own way, to do it in their own time. Um, but it all kind of comes together under that flexible working um, agenda. So something that will become even more critical, I think, as we emerge from the pandemic into the new normal. Thanks, Laura. That's um, it's encouraging to hear. And I really like that you talked about individuals and people in that answer and not just women, because absolutely it's flexibility is something that we all need. Um, even if it might have a disproportionate impact on female economic empowerment. Larice, what would what would your advice be? What else could, could governments and business be doing to uh, to look at that agenda as we emerge from COVID-19? 
I think, Emily, it is all about addressing the, you know, the underlying um, inequalities um, in society. And our analysis shows that damage to women's progress from the pandemic is going to be hard to repair. Um, and that's particularly if governments uh, and businesses don't act to address the fallout now. You see, the longer women take a step back from the labour market, the less likely they will be to return to full-time employment at the same skill level and the same salary level. And that means a permanent deterioration of women's career prospects and also a hit to economic growth and productivity. So the policy response to support the economic recovery from COVID needs to specifically address the impacts of the pandemic on women that we've discussed today. And, and that can start by governments undertaking equality impact assessment of not just COVID recovery policies, but all policies to ensure that you know, policies better protect women and other marginalised groups in society, um, doesn't, not so they don't place them at a greater disadvantage. And so it informs fairer and more effective policy responses to the COVID recovery and but also the recovery from from future crises. Fab, thank you, Louise. Laura, what do you think about the business role in in that change? What what could we be doing to to bring about real change in this space? I think businesses have got a really important role to play. I think generally in terms of society is looking to business to drive change uh, and, and at a pace as well. So I think the expectations are there. Um, and certainly from my conversations within the firm, but actually with lots of other organisations say that businesses are definitely up for it. We can see the role that we can play in society, particularly around inclusion, diversity, levelling up. Um, and I think there is a real opportunity on the horizon. Firstly, it is about supporting and empowering women to participate in the labour force. So some of that is about the flexibility that we just talked about. It's about policy decisions around shared parental leave, um, access to formal as well as informal flexible working arrangements. So there's a lot that we can do as businesses that really make this agenda real for many people. And uh, and yeah, and women in particular thinking, I, I can do this. There is a different choice available to me rather than just stepping back uh, from a career and that is really important. I think it's it's well and good to have you know a diverse profile within an organization um, but recruiting people is the very very first step but it's about progression it's about representation of women at senior levels within a workplace and again that is absolutely within the uh, within the remit of businesses to close gender pay gaps, to be transparent, to hold themselves accountable um, between organisations sharing best practice. I don't think this is an area for competitive advantage. I think businesses should be sharing what they're doing, what's worked and importantly, what hasn't worked so that everybody can learn from that experience and we make pro progress collectively more quickly. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, understandably gender pay gap reporting has been put on the back burner throughout COVID. I think that does need to come back as a priority. It's the classic statement of what gets measured gets done. And I do think that falls into that category. I think bringing um, ethnic pay and ethnic minority pay gap reporting to the fore from a regulatory perspective would also be um, a positive move. So really being requiring of businesses, but we don't have to wait for regulation. We don't have to wait to be asked. I think the opportunity is there for us to step up um, in terms of what we're doing from a policy um, and transparency perspective. And the last point I think I would pull out, I think there's a really fantastic opportunity for businesses to think about skills. You hear the phrase that skills is the new 
currency. And that's very much around making sure women and other um, minority groups have the skills to make sure they're relevant in society. You know, whether that career is with PwC or anywhere else, you know, we are absolutely investing in upskilling our people from a technology perspective, um, making sure everybody stays relevant in the workplace. And that is absolutely something that all employers can be thinking about and investing in. I think that will make a huge difference as we come out of the pandemic. Well, thank you both. Plenty of big ideas there to chew on and, and a, a great agenda for action for both government and business. Um, we are almost out of time here today, ladies. So we have, we've talked about this challenge. We've talked about what business and government are going to do. I'm going to take us back to the theme of this International Women's Day, Choose to Challenge. Um, and before we wrap up, I'd like to know what personal actions each of you are going to take to challenge gender inequalities in your roles in the coming year. Larice, I will come to you first, if I may. Oh, thank you, Emily, and, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. I think for me personally, I mean, I do try to challenge gender biases every day. I work in our economics practice and um, we've got 12 people on our senior leadership team and currently I'm the only woman. So I'm really committed to trying to change that through supporting women in our team to progress recruitment and promotion um, of, of women um, and particularly female economists. Brilliant. How about you, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's such an important question and I think it's exactly the right one to be asking around, you know, individual responsibility and choices uh, and choosing to challenge rather than choosing to kind of stand on the sidelines and, and see what's happening around us. I mean, I have, you know, a, a, a hugely... Um, privileged position at PwC, I, I feel that I can really make a difference. I chair our COVID response and our steering committee in terms of uh, thinking about our world post pandemic. And that that is my particular action as we think about transitioning back to that new normal, as we think about the new deal as people work in different ways, and we keep hold of all of the positives around different ways of working, the use of technology, more balance in life. My action is to make sure we build a diversity and inclusion lens into all of that thinking. Um, it's not just a, a kind of secondary follow-up thought so that the new world is just as positive with just as many opportunities for women um, and for ethnic minorities as for everybody else within PwC. I really do think the world in the future will look very different um, and I am absolutely determined to make that one that is fair with equal opportunities for everybody to enhance careers. I love that action, Laura, and I think um, certainly that's something when I think about my own personal action is making sure that it's a factor in in every conversation, in every decision. It's not a side agenda item. It's it's right in the core of of business. Thank you both so much. That's been such a fascinating discussion. And of course, thank you to everybody for listening. If you would like to find out more about our Women in Work research or discover the steps you can take to promote gender parity in your organisation, visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash women in work. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with our Business in Focus podcast series. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. See you next time. Mm -hmm.